Oh, yes. Um, hey, you guys, good morning. Good to be with you guys. You, you should see the construction over here. It's amazing. These guys are hanging out in the jacuzzi over here. It's relaxing. Sorry for you guys over here. Um, good to be with you guys. We, I'm really excited uh, to be with you. Um, if you're new with us, um, glad that you're here. I know that there's a lot of places you could be, especially, I don't know, I mean, for, I mean I'm, so, I'm so weak. I, you know, I, like, born in Orange County, I've never le- lived anywhere else except when I was in college, and have come back to it. And I'm, when it's like below 50 degrees in the morning, I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to go anywhere? I mean, I just felt like I may not make it to church this morning. It's just so, I just don't want to get out of my bed. So thank you guys for being here and braving our unbelievable weather. A polar vortex is just happening all around. Uh, so thanks for being here. Uh, if you're new, like Mike said, our, our intention is that you'd be able to get connected. And it's our belief that, um, you know, we're, well, we're a group of people who are trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and how to love other people. And um, we say this all the time, that, that nobody in here has got that figured out, and, and nobody in here has all the answers. And if in some way or another that idea of following Jesus and loving other people, moving in that direction, seems like something that's appealing to you, well, then you're in the right place. And if, you, if your expectation is that you would need to be perfect or that we need to be perfect, we're going to let you down. Sorry, just let you down right now. But um, we're really glad that you're here. I want to tell you, too, if you're not new with us, if this is your home church, I want to give you a little bit of an update about some of We talked a lot about some family business stuff, about our finances. I just want to let you know kind of how, we, how we're ending up. And the final numbers aren't totally in for us yet, but I just want to give you a sense um, where our church was. I told you at one point we were, we were 18% behind our budget, and we just started trending in the right direction all the way through the end of the year. And, um, you know, there is, you gave sacrificially and generously and you saw yourself as part of what God's doing in this community and began to say, we want to we see what God could do if, um, we, and how we could participate in that work. And at the six-month mark, which is, our, you know, which is the end of the, the actual calendar year, we are seeing our, our church is trending in, like I'm not, I'm not surprised at all, in a direction of unbelievable generosity. And so I'll have the final numbers for you in the next week or so. But I just want to let you know, good job on you guys. And if you want to continue to be a part of what God's doing here, you want to join in. If you haven't yet taken that step, We'd love to invite you to do that. Again, as Mike said, God doesn't need our money, but it is a way for us to participate in the work that God does and begin to see what, um, how, how we could actually sort of direct our own hearts toward that. So if you're new and, you know, you're checking this out, this isn't, that's all family update business stuff, but if this is your home church, just want to give you that update and let you know that, you know, we're a generous church and we're trending in the right direction towards greater and greater generosity. So I'm very proud of you guys. Um, you can clap for that. Some people are trying to clap. You can clap. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they're like, do we clap? We can clap. Um, so great job. Um, we are starting a new series. Actually, I should say we're taking a break from our other series, you know, which is a, a, a walk through the book of Luke, which, you know, if, which we'll probably finish when Jesus act, returns. <laughs> it's taking us forever to do this. Uh, but um, it is an incredibly long walk through the book. It's been great, but it's taken a long time. And now, anyways, we're taking a little break. Um, we're doing a series called A Beautiful Mess. It's on our relationships. I know a lot of you were probably invited by some of your friends who said, look, we're all kind of a relational mess. We, we love each other. We're not perfect. Who, you know, we could always a little tune up in our relationships. My guess is that some of you who are invited here, you, you, you know, on the surface, it's like, yeah, I can use a little tune up. But on the inside, there's a lot of like, man, we're, we're more mess than beautiful. And you know what? I'm just so glad that you're here. But we believe, um, you know, we, we, well, I should say this way. We are an extension of the relationship. Our identity that we have in our own life, how we perceive ourselves, all comes from the relationships that we have in our life. Whether or not they're good, those are the things that shape who we, how we actually see ourselves. They shape who we've become. Our relationships with other people are really sort of the foundational for our identity. But all those relationships are governed by human beings. And human beings make things messy. And so regardless of where you are in your own relational life, whether you're in the midst of crisis 
whether you're on the tune-up end of things or whether there's some real brokenness or whatever it might be, somewhere in the middle, I think this is going to be an unbelievable series for you. I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about today. Over the next couple weeks, Fields will be here. If you guys know Doug Fields, he'll be here the next three weeks talking about parenting. If you have a parent, are a parent, are going to be a parent, that should cover everybody, uh, you're going to want to be, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be really, really cool. So um, I'm excited about this series. Let's, let's pray and then we'll jump into today's message. And so would you join me as we pray? Father, we, are, um, we, we cover every end of the spectrum in this room. We are people who are new to you. We are people who are new to this community. We are people who are uh, curious about you. We're a group of people, Father, who is um, uh, lacking in understanding and also, Father, who is brimming, probably also brimming with overconfidence in some areas too. And Jesus, we need, um, we need your work in our lives. Every one of us has a story of um, relational wonder and we also have a story of relational pain and suffering. Father, we've been wounded in the past, and we've done some wounding. And Father, um, we, need, we need your help. Jesus, we, um, it's our prayer that there would be hope and that there would be healing. And that above all else, above everything else that happens, and everything else we talk about, above every other technique or helpful tip that might come, that first and foremost, we would find that we are connected to you. And so Jesus, for just a moment, as we tend to do, we just pause And we ask that you might speak to us in the power and in the words of your Holy Spirit, that you might speak to us about how much you desire to be with us. Father, if there's anything that is within us that says that we're unworthy of being around you, that you would not want us, would that be just cast aside right now? That you look at us and you love us more than we could ever know, and whatever we might be feeling that might be resistant to that idea, would you just do away with that right now? So Jesus, would you speak to us as we talk about this beautiful, massive relationship? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, if you uh, want, if you brought your Bible, I want to follow along. We're going to be primarily in Ephesians four and five. Um, we'll be jumping around a little bit, but if you want to do that, you can kind of be there now towards the end of Ephesians four. Um, everything you need will be on the screen. If you want to follow along in the outline, which is in your bulletin, you can pull that out as well. Um, also, you guys have pens in there for more than just you know, you know, a souvenir. I mean, those are those are for you to take notes. We actually believe that. You know, taking notes maybe, you know, in some way or another actually activates what you learn about. Some of you have a total resistance to notes. You're in class all day. You're students, and you're like, I will not take notes in church. I will worship and not take, I get it, whatever you want to do. But I want to help you, however, whatever it is to help you kind of get there. But take out your outline if you want to do that. Follow along on the screen. Turn on your, you know, Bible app or whatever you got. But um, while you're doing that, um, I want to show you a, a picture of my dog. This is my dog, right? Uh, should be coming up here real soon. That's my dog. Yeah, <laughs> pretty cute. Uh, that's my dog, Kirby. Um, Kirby is now two years old. And, um, you know, that, I don't, I, well, so we love our dog. And some of you in this room are like dog people. Like you, you, you have a, almost like a, like, I don't mean dog people versus cat people. You know, how many of you guys are dog people? Like, just like that, just versus cat people. How many of you are cat people? There are so many great churches around this community, you guys. I just want to invite you to check out some of those. But... Um, <laughs> But, but some of you are dog people, and you have, like a, you have like a relationship with your dog that's a little bit bizarre. Like, you know, not, not, you don't just put a t-shirt on your dog. You, like, have outfits planned for the week, and you have a special friendship with your animal that's, like, 
I don't know, your favorite movies are in this order, you know, or shows are like Rin Tin Tin and, you know, Lassie and Benji and whatever. All those, you're all about, and that's, you know, you're bizarre. But I'm, I'm a dog person. I, I love our dog. I mean, he's awesome, but he's also a dog. Our dog um, is, has, um, we've, <laughs> we have a, an old, we, we, we purchased online an old TiVo. Like, so we bought a DVR online so we could just, you know, it's awesome. We don't pay a monthly fee. It's rad. But we, so we have this TiVo. And um, we, we record, you know, so we record shows, whatever. And this dog, this sweet and wonderful, beautiful dog, has eaten four of our remotes. Let me show you one of the remotes. This is the first one. We have a remote control picture. Just destroys it. Now, what you can see right there in the middle, you can see there's like a little directional search thing. The, the button to select anything is in the middle of that. So you have to put your, your pinky through without, it's like a game of operation, to act to push whatever button you want. You have to get exactly around, however you're going to do it, exactly in the middle of that. It's un, I have to get my daughter to like push the button to like turn the remote control on. But I've called, we've, you know, we, we order, a, we call the TiVo people every like couple months. They're like, wow, you guys really like the remote controls. We have a dog. He's eaten four of our remote, we're literally on the fifth remote control. I got home like not too long ago and he'd eaten another remote control and I was like, I mean, I literally just picked it up and threw it, and I was like, this is not, I should not have thrown this remote control, but I did. And there is, there is just something about this. Now, here's, what, here's the point. We love our dog. He's a part of our lives, but we're going to have to do something about that dog. We're going to have to figure out either where we put our remote controls, which tends to be among, there's a million things he could chew, but remote controls are like his favorite thing. And we're going to have to do something about that dog, because what I intend for this sweet, beautiful Kirby, what I, what I expect from him and what I intend for him is to be in our family and to obey stuff and not bark at strangers and to sit right at my feet and just when my feet are cold to know it and just lay right on my feet. You know, some of you try to do that with your dog. You try to let, lay right there. Good. I want him to do that. I want him to just, I want to never have to worry about him running out. I want him to do all those things. Now, for me to have a wonderful, great relationship with my dog or whatever else, I'm going to have to do something about that dog. I think for us, we talk about relationships. There is a part of our relationships that God has, intended us, God has intended us for closeness, for intimacy, for relationship with other people. But there's a part of us, all of it's, it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's majestic and all that that's part of us. But that is another side. And our need for intimacy, our need for relational connection, sometimes manifests itself away in ways that makes a mess. And we have to do something about that. How we seek intimacy and closeness with friends, with people that we intend to date, with um, our spouse, with our kids, with our grandparents, with everybody in the world. All of those things, they're probably in need of repair. We're going to have to do something about those things. The way we seek intimacy, the way we seek closeness with other people. Now, I want to tell you, as we start this series, I think there is, I, I think this is an unbelievably great opportunity. Most of us walk in here trying to keep things at least mostly on the surface, as long as we can. We're not letting anybody in about what's actually going on underneath the surface. We dress at least a little bit nicely, you know, we try to put everything together, and, you know, I get that. But I, my, I also know that there's a lot of us that are in this place that beneath the surface, just a little bit, if we were to just talk and I could just one-on-one or someone was to ask you just what's going on beneath the surface, that there would be tears and there would be drama and there would be hopelessness. And I want to let you know that I believe God can do something miraculous in these next couple weeks in this series. And what I want to invite you to, to consider is, what if God could do something miraculous in my relational life? 
in my loneliness, in my despair, in my brokenness, in my bitterness, in all of the habits that I've acquired over the course of my life? What if God could do something miraculous in, that time, in this next couple of weeks as we walk through this beautiful mess series? I want you to consider what that might look like. If God could do something miraculous in it. And as we talk about you know, relationships, I, probably the best place to start is in the very beginning of our own human being so let's do this. We're in Genesis chapter 1 just says this. You've seen this before perhaps. It says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So human beings are created in an image of God. Now what that means is not super specific. We don't really know exactly what that means. It's kind of difficult to understand. Except this. However God is, whatever, however God looks, whatever he's about... In some way or another, we ought to resemble that. So however God is, is how we are intended to be. Does that make sense? In some way or another, we're supposed to look like that a little bit. Whatever attributes of God that he has, at least in some way or another, some of those things should show up in our own lives. Now, at least somewhat. So let me show you kind of how God is. Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is, a really, this is actually kind of bizarre if you think about it. There's, uh, this man is being created by God. And the way in which this man is created or animated into life is that God breathes into his nostrils. Now, I don't know what, how close God's mouth is to his nostrils, but, you know, as a kid, I always thought, like, That's, that might be uncomfortable, you know, like right there in his face, breathing into his nostrils. But there's an intimacy described here. The, but the point is that there's an intimacy, intimacy. God gives to this human being life. And it is really up close the way God does it. Right up next to this guy, there is a, an intimacy already established between God and this, this human, different than all the other animals in the whole human world, all the world. Keep on moving. Exodus 3. This is Moses is about to, um, he's, being, he's talking to the burning bush, the proverbial burning bush. Perhaps you've heard of the burning bush. God's speaking to him and saying, you're going to rescue my people. And Moses is saying, I can't, I stutter, I don't have any, I'm not, I mean, I don't even know, I, I can't do this. And God says this. Here it is, uh, 11, verse 11. But who am I, God, Moses said, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites who are in captivity um, out of Egypt? Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Isaiah 41. The Bible says this, so do not fear for I am with you. We just celebrate at Christmas. We have this moment then at Christmas where we, we, we're celebrating at Christmas. If you were with us or any of our services or you, maybe you've heard about what happens at Christmas, what you're doing is a celebration of this very thing which is written in Matthew 1, 23 and Isaiah 7, 14, which is this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That from the very beginning, what God intends from the very beginning of creation all the way up until now, is that God's intention is to be with us. We have a belief somewhere along the line, we somehow, a lot of us have acquired this, that God is mostly not wanting to be with us, and maybe every once in a while he kind of tolerates us. Maybe there's some kind of, well, maybe he just might let us hang out because he's you know, just sort of annoyed enough to be around us. Just, all right, I'll do whatever you need. But, but God's intention is to be with us from the very beginning. Before we were even, before we were even you know, alive, God's intention was to be with you. Now, God is a being with us kind of God. And I want to back up just a little bit. God creates human beings. He tells them, you have, he tells, them, he tells Adam, cultivate the earth, till the soil, work with it, have dominion over it, have leadership, rulership over all of creation. 
And then he says, and, the, and, there's, and he's created human beings, Adam and Eve, to be with each other, to fill the earth and multiply it. That's all, everything sounds great. And somewhere along the line, both of them, Adam and Eve, say, this isn't enough. Whatever you've given us, God, everything that's around us, that you've given us all of, it's not enough and we need more. And insecurity and a little bit of doubt and some selfishness begin to surface and emerge and they start making some choices that set a, a whole sort of world in motion, which is a world in which there's alienation and separation. And the first instance you see right after this moment, which is traditionally called the fall, what, what happens after that moment is this, which is in, in Genesis 3, verse 8, says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. A couple of things you got to know. One is this. Whatever sound God makes when he's walking in the garden, they could recognize it. Meaning that they had some, uh, some knowledge of, well, that's God. That's how he typically walks around. He takes his afternoon walk, I guess, in the garden. And we know that's him. We've identified the way he walks. I don't know whether it's thunderous and scary or he likes, like my kids do in the fall, like to try to intentionally crush all the leaves, you know, that have fallen down. They try to jump on all the leaves. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody else have kids do You do this? You're walking? No, it's a really hilarious, joyful thing. Try it. Just kidding. Anyway, but there's, but what, however God is walking, he's coming and they recognize that that's how God walks. He's in the garden. And they recognize his walk and then they hide. Now remember, God's intention for human beings is that they would be with him. God, is his full intention is to have intimacy and closeness with human beings. And they are hiding from him. They're running away from him. It isn't God who hides from people. It is people who start running from God. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? Where are you? Now... Most of us would agree, if I was to ask you some of the attributes about God, most of us would say, well, he probably knows everything. It's at least one of those things. God's asking a question. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, man? Where are you? Now, is that question ultimately for God because he can't find him? Like, well, I just lost the human being I made. I don't know where he went. You know, you know like, come on back, you know, whatever. Or is that question for Adam himself? I know that you have run away and I know that you're hiding. Where are you? Where are you? In other words, what's being described here is that human beings have an intimacy with God. They choose to bend the arc of all of God's generosity and all of his goodness towards themselves and this thing called the fall. And the, the cascading effect that begins with them first is that they start hiding and running from God. And God says to them, where are you? In other words, you have lost yourself. Everything that was fundamental about who you are, which is what I intended, I breathed life into you, somehow or another you lost it. It is just you have lost it, and when you lost that, you began to lose yourself. Where are you, Adam? The fundamental issue, fundamental issue at this moment in the story of human beings, as the Bible describes it, is an issue of identity. Now, 
We, we all, every one of us in here, like I said before, we all wonder about relationships. We all wonder about how to have improved relationships. We want the ones we already have, we want to know how to take them to the next step. To the ones that we're hoping to find or build or repair, whatever it might be, in some way or another, we're all looking to find a way to, to make these relationships good. And in some way or another, what we're, what we're hoping for is that we would have a smoothness about those things. And all of those relationships starts with one thing, your own identity, who you are. Because my guess is, as you came in here, there's a lot of you who said, I'm really excited about, well, at least maybe not really excited, I'm willing <laughs> to take a look at my own life, to take some steps and begin to improve. I'm willing to do the hard work, and that's great. But there's a danger here. Because God's intention for us, if we miss this, if, I mean, if we miss this next couple things I'm going to talk about, the rest of the series does not matter. The rest of it doesn't matter. We can have a few techniques. We can learn some stuff. It will be helpful for a little while, but this is the most critical stuff. It literally is the most critical stuff. You can learn some techniques. You can get a little bit better, but the fundamental picture of how you view yourself changes everything. Those who are deeply loved are capable of deep love, bottom line. And if in some way or another there's a running or a hiding, then everything else we talk about in the rest of the series will not matter. Look at what this says. I'm going to read this to you. This is, in, if, this is the end of Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you, and you have to have a little danger here. Because some of you are going to read this and go, well, here comes the hard work. This is what I expect the church to do. It's not surprising. It's not fun. It's just whatever. Here's what I expect the Bible to tell me. Check this out. Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, that alone, you just start having a, well, I could try all these things. I kind of, I don't know, I'm not really entirely sure about brawling and slander, but I, you know, I have rage and anger and bitterness sometimes, and, you know, I once got in a fight when I was in eighth grade, so I guess there's brawling there. I'm really sorry about that, God. And, you know, I don't, however you might see that, there's stuff that you kind of go, all right, I'm supposed to do these things. And, and what you get here is, well, because Jesus was these things, he was, you know, he was wonderful to you, so I should be wonderful to everybody else. And you're kind of like, I expect that. You might have the impression, especially if you're new, you're like, wow, this is, I guess this is, this is I guess what the church says, tell you to try harder and do these things. And what you have in your head is a list already that you already have. If anybody was to ask you, are there things that you do in your marriage or your, your friendships or your relationships that you should do? Yes, there's things that you, that you should not do. Yeah, I got that list. And, I'm, and I'm, you're probably expecting that what I would say is just try to move from less of the should nots to more of the shoulds. I just want you to get, catch this, though. This isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is going to come in one second. There's something that I'm going to tell you next that is the critical thing. If there's anything you're going to hear or do or respond to in this message, it's the next thing I'm going to tell you. Because everything else that we've talked about so far is helping you get to this place. Everything that we will talk about in this series is what I want you to catch next. And if you don't catch this, the rest of it will make no sense. Here's what it is. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Keep that on the screen for just a second, okay? I want you to see that and let that sink in for just a moment. Most of us who have grown up in the church or have approached the church or have any impression about the church understand the first three words at least somewhat. We're supposed to be like God. We're supposed to kind of follow whatever he does. 
But that's not the most important thing. That's not the most critical thing because there's something that you have to catch or it doesn't work, which is the second four words. As dearly loved children. Um, my guess is that many of you understand what it is to be kids. You have been kids. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you plan on having children someday. You have an experience of childhood. And you, yet there is part of us in some way or another that has probably lost the idea or has difficulty with the picture of being dearly loved children. We know what it is to be kids, but we don't have any kind of idea about what it looks like to be dearly loved children of God. Everything else that we do in relationships stems from that reality. Some of you have come into church and you're like, well, I, I know God would love me and I'll be considered his dearly loved child if only there were some things. But that's not the way childhood works. It's not the way it works. God looks at us and says, if you would choose me, I would choose you. I would choose you and adopt you. I make you my own. Not because you're already wonderful and awesome, but because I'm your dad. Some of us have a really difficult time with that. You know, psychologists will tell us that our first impression of who God is, whatever our God image is, comes from our Father. However your dad was, that's how you perceived as your first impression of who God is. If you have an impression about a dad who is agitated, angry, frustrated, that's how you perceive God. If you have a perception about a father who is mostly emotionally or, or at least in some way emotionally or actually physically absent, then that's how you perceive God. If you look at God, if you have a dad who in some way you go has expectations that I'm never quite good enough, then that's your first impression and generally tends to be the most lasting impression of how you perceive God to be. Now most people, if you boil it down, have an impression about God as their father that falls into roughly three categories. A guy named Christian Smith did a giant study of people and asking them about their impressions of God. And here's what he said. When you look at God, you have basically three categories or three ways in which the different degrees people view God. One, it's just that God is moralistic, therapeutic, and, well, moralistic, therapeutic deism is how he would describe people's relationship with God. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. So here's what those three, those three things mean. Moralism is that God is attempting to get you to modify your behavior to be a, just sort of a more moral person. That God in some way is like a Boy Scout leader trying to get you to just do more things and try your best and, you know, always be prepared or whatever it is that Boy Scouts do. Help old ladies and all that kind of stuff. The therapeutic is that there's whatever at times God just tries to help you cope with reality because it's hard to be us. And that his intention is just to help us cope with reality. And the notion of deism is that God is creator but absent. He did stuff but he's not really here. In other words, it looks like this. God's not present all that much. So we try our best to do the best stuff we can do that God might pay attention to us. And occasionally when we need a little coping help, he gives us money. I mean, or gives us whatever we need or gives us. That's really how most people view God. That's not a dearly loved children kind of relationship with God. And yet it's the most fundamental picture of how we live every other relationship in our lives. is how we are first loved by you are intended to be his dearly loved children. We are born spiritual orphans. And God takes us into his family and makes us his dearly loved children. The book of Ephesians, this quote, this we're reading comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is six chapters long. Three of those chapters are spent only focusing on that one thing. 
It starts out the way the book of Ephesians is addressed. This is the, the Apostle Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus. And if, it starts out by saying, to, it's addressed to these people. Addressed to God's holy people in Ephesus. It, or in the more traditional translations, it says, to the saints in Ephesus. In other words, it doesn't start out by saying, to God's, you know, the people God tolerates a little bit. To all of God's people who he mostly despises and is generally disappointed with, here's a letter of love. It doesn't start by saying all those things to God's, you know, kind of hangers-on. You know, to those people, he's writing this. No, 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 no. The Bible starts by saying to God's holy ones, to the saints. The primary identity of people who belong to Jesus is as his own children. And if we're going to have any kind of relational success in the rest of our lives, it has to fundamentally start with how we were created and intended to be, which is to walk with God as his dearly loved children. Some of you, if you, that's all you came to hear in this series, that's all you needed. You could walk away right now going, my, my gosh, I'm dearly loved. Your dads matter. Having a, having a father that is your intended father, the one who created you is so rich and beautiful. Look what it says in Ephesians 5 too. Look, just to continue on. Follow God's example, therefore, as, therefore as God's dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, all of the relational stuff that's going to be talked about starts, begins, and ends. This following in the example of the walking in the way of love, all of that starts, it begins and ends with the idea fundamentally of do you have an understanding that you are God's dearly loved child? If you do not, then there is very little hope for the rest of your relational life, honestly. It is God's work of restoring and restoring you back to where he intended you to be, to walk with him. I was, um, you know, we, we know people in our lives, all of you do, who are walking through difficulty in their own marriages, in their own lives. Maybe that's you too. Uh, um, one of our friends is, you know, in this situation. They're, um, my friend moved out of his house with his, from his three kids over the Christmas break. And his eight-year-old daughter said, as dad was moving out, talking to mom, she said in tears, what's, what's my name going to be? I mean, I just started like, I mean, I was stunned when I heard this. There is a picture of our identity that is entrenched in who our father is. And if we lose who our father is, we begin to lose ourselves. My own life, um, you know, I have like, my dad asked me about a year ago, he asked me for a, um, my, my, my parents have been divorced since I was two and a half. Um, I don't have a real good relationship with my dad. And he asked me, like a year and a half ago or two years ago, he asked me, he's like, hey, could you, could you give me a picture of your family? Oh, yeah, sure, dad. I'll, you know, no problem. I can find a picture. I can get you something. And, and um, I haven't sent him a picture of my family. And I should. So here's a picture of my family. This is what we just took a couple, years ago, or a couple months ago. Um, some part of me doesn't want him to share in that. Some part of me is saying, you had your shot. You don't get this one. And it's only bitterness. It's only me withholding from him 
And I'm the only one who will lose for that. But I have a picture and I printed it out and it's in, it's in an envelope in my house and I haven't sent it to him yet. Because there's something about dads. There's something about us and our identity with our fathers. There's something about us and what that means for us. And there's something about what God wants to do to restore us. No matter what our own relationship with our own fathers was, our own earthly fathers, that he intends for us to be his dearly loved children so that we can walk in the way of love. And what I'm realizing over this past, you know, couple months is this, we took our family picture, was that there's a part of me that is, is still not living in the reality of, I'm, I'm God's dearly loved children, dearly loved child. And it is preventing me from walking in the way of love. Some of you, are still walking in the reality that says, I didn't realize or I don't know how to live in the reality that I am God's dearly loved child. God so loved you that he would rebuild a relationship with you. That he would end a time in which we walk and live as spiritual orphans, that he would bring us back to himself. And his son Jesus is what we celebrate at Christmas. And it is his intention that we would no longer walk wondering who we're supposed to be and who what our name is and all that stuff. That God gives to us his name And he walks with us and says, foundational for every other relationship is your relationship with me because I intended you for intimacy with me, to walk with me. That's everything. We have lost the art of just being kids. We have lost the art of being kids. We are capable and we are busy and we are active and we have things to do and we are important people and there's so much that we have to consider and so many things that we have to move toward and we have lost the art of being children. And maybe today is just simply an invitation for you to rediscover what it is to live as God's dearly loved children. To live in that reality. Some of you have never heard that. Some of you have walked along the fringe of church and always heard you're almost good enough and maybe someday God will maybe let you do something with him. And let me just tell you right now that is not how it worked. Like God at Christmas, Jesus walks among us and he says, it is my intention to dwell among you, to be with you. People who are a whole bunch of mess and a little bit beautiful, and I will make all of that mess, I will redeem it for something beautiful. That is what God does. Some of you have never lived in that reality. You are trying to manage stuff, to put stuff together, to be beautiful, and you have lost that God is already calling you and saying, I want to walk with you. Now, some of you are looking at your outline going, you've only gone to the first half of the outline. Is this going to go till noon? <laughs> I figured this might happen. So here's the deal. You get to cheat and look at the, I'll give this message in a couple weeks, the backside of this outline. But here's what I want to do. I want us to respond a little bit. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a moment just to consider a couple things. One is this. How, well, just imagine for a moment that God might reclaim the beauty that has been lost in your life, the beauty that he intended for your family, for your own life, for your own relationships, that he might reclaim it right now. It's been lost. What does it look like then to be, I mean, really, what does it look like to be fully restored? What does it look like? Just imagine that for a moment. That whatever relational issue that might have confronted you, whatever it might have been that sort of damaged you, whatever it has been that you damaged in other people, whatever that is, what does it look like that God might restore it? What does it look like to live in the reality that you are dearly loved children? 
Now, there's not a lot of practical action, action steps. There's no, here's the seven things you do to act like children. I mean, I don't know what, the, you know, you could, I don't know what you do, except to live in this reality. To pray this, to pray this belief is more than just an acknowledgement in your head. Because it will come up in the rest of the series. Every single week, you'll hear as Doug talks next week about real practical stuff about parenting, which will be incredibly helpful. If we lose this idea that you are God's dearly loved children, the rest of it doesn't matter. Let's pray together, and then we'll respond together in song and in prayer. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you have intended for us to be your children. And we have lost in some way or another what that looks like. That it's in our very nature to run and hide when we make mistakes. To blame you for them. Father, we live lives that are, in, that are of greater shame than we ever intended. We look at our lives and go, there is some work that needs to be done and we are not capable of doing it on our own. We need each other. We need you. Just with your eyes closed for a moment. What does it look like for you to receive an invitation to return to your own father? That he might hold you. That he might call you his own child. That the deepest needs of our soul the spiritual essence of who we are, all of who we are, needs God to be our Father. And that while we may have tried everything else, nothing else has been sufficient. Jesus, we are people who need you. And while we might run and hide, you call to us and say, where have you gone? And you welcome us back with open arms. And you would love us with truth and with depth and with grace. And so, Father, as we continue the series, recognize and know the mess of our lives, we believe that you are capable of redeeming it and making it something beautiful. So, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.